0: Um today is Friday, July 16, thousand and one um, I would ask the plague to while local.
1: Okay, um, my name is Deborah Kaplan, Deputy Director of the Mayor's Office on Disability. And um, I will proceed with some opening remarks and then take the roll call. <clears throat> this meeting is broadcast to the public on SFGov TV. It is open captioned and sign language interpreted. This MDC meeting is open to the public through Zoom webinar also. This is an alternative to watching on TV or going to TV. Members of the public can observe the meeting with a computer, tablet or smartphone by following the Zoom link HTTPS colon double slash us02 web period zoom period us slash j slash 85419550368 you can also join the webinar by phone by dialing in 6699006833 and the webinar ID is 854 1955 0368. During this meeting, public comments can be made in several ways. If you join the webinar using your computer or tablet or smartphone Zoom app, click on the three horizontal dots icon and then click on raise your hand. You'll be recognized when it's your turn. You can also use the Q&A feature in Zoom webinar to be recognized or to make a comment. If you wish to be recognized, type in the Q&A box that you want to make a comment and hit send. You can also type your comment into the Q&A box if you want the clerk to read it for you. If you join by phone, dial star nine when you want to be recognized. And then you'll be prompted when it's your turn to make comments. The Mayor's Disability Council holds nine public meetings yearly. They are generally held on the third Friday of the month. Please call the Mayor's Office on Disability for further information or to request accommodations at 415-554-6789 voice or by email at mod at Our next regular meeting will be on Friday, September 17, 2021 from 1 to 4 pm the council will be using this time during the month of august for a regularly scheduled a strategic planning meeting
0: thank you for that um and, and now oh, sorry um Go ahead, Alex. Um, so I'll be moving to item number two, which is bringing in a of agenda.
1: First, I'll just do the roll call. Thank um, you. Sorry, having a. Um,
2: Computer issue.
1: Denise Sennau.
3: I'm here, present. Thank you.
1: Orchid Sasuni.
3: Present.
2: Helen Smolinski.
4: Present.
1: Alex Madrid.
0: I'm um, here.
2: Ellen Pelsman. Sorry, present.
3: Tiffany, you
5: present. Okay.
1: Okay.
0: Thank you. So now we are on item number two, which is reading an approval of agenda.
1: Okay. Um, the next item on we've already done welcome introductions, and we're now we're now doing reading a, and approval of the agenda. And after that comes a public comment session. After that, a presentation regarding the slow streets program and overview. After that, there will be a 15 minute break. And then item number five will be a presentation on the vision zero action strategy. After that, there will be a report from the Mayor's Office on Disability, and then general public comments, and then correspondence and other information. After that, any discussion items, comments, and announcements, and then adjournment.
0: Thank you, um, Debbie, today. Um Right now, we are on number three public comment that is not under a general projection of the class. Um, are there any public comment at this time? This is
6: Iman. Uh, yes, there are members of the public who have indicated they want to make public comment. Um, And I want us to make sure we get the timer on the screen. And the first um, first public commenter. Um, Zach, you have been unmuted.
7: Hi, my timer is supposed to start after I begin speaking. Uh, so please add four seconds to my time. My name is Zach Carnezes, uh K-A-R-N-A-Z-E-S. I'm a disability advocate and wheelchair user in San Francisco, and I'm also a journalist. Uh, I'm here today with the sad, r- sad news that uh, it has become very clear to me in recent months that the Mayor's Disability Council, Mayor's Office on Disability, does not care for the safety and well-being of disabled San Franciscans. In fact, quite to the contrary, I've been begging these offices to get access to the COVID-19 vaccine, for the Pfizer vaccine, I was gatekeeped and discriminated against to get this vaccine uh, by being required to answer a plethora of questions, including my sexual orientation and having to provide insurance information and other obstacles that able-bodied people do not have to provide to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, This vaccine was only made available to disabled people that are shut-ins. I I apologize for using that phrase, uh, but folks that are stuck in our homes due to access barriers, in my case, uh, that MOD would not help with. And I was one of the last people to get the vaccine. Uh, We were some of the last folks. We did not, the vaccine rollout did not even begin for us until sometime in May or April, after I protested here numerous times to this body. Uh, This uh, mayor's office on disability broke the law. There was a finding of 10 to zero, a unanimous verdict from the Sunshine Ordinance that this department broke the law and took 11 months to satisfy a public records request that i made for my own records my own disability records and deborah kaplan to the last blamed me uh, even in the committee meetings blamed me as long as she could until the uh, task force themselves found her at fault and so that's what this body does you blame disabled people you you, you just place the blame on us instead of actually being advocates. Uh, when I brought up issues around vaccine access, I was told that they are not, some of them don't fall under the ADA, and so you won't even do anything about it. Well, this body was set up to go beyond the ADA, not to stop at the ADA. It was set up to actually defend and protect disabled people, not just conform to a law that's 30 years old. And additionally, uh, Orchid Sazoni and Sazoni um, and Alex Madrid had the audacity to send me emails saying, stop emailing me about the vaccine. I can't do anything about this. And what I actually emailed about was the cancellation of this meeting last month, uh, which, by the way, this office deemed a postponement. It was a cancellation, not a postponement. These are part of the games that these offices play. Uh, it's ridiculous. You have blood on your hands. I hope you know that people are dying because, and they're getting sick because they're not getting access to this vaccine. You were not protecting our access to this vaccine. You're breaking the law when it comes to public records accesses. You don't even file complaints when we actually make ADA complaints. You don't even file them. You don't even follow your own rules and procedures. I mentioned that at the last meeting two months ago. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. Why do you get paid? Why does this office exist? I don't even know. That's the end of my thank, comment.
0: Thank you for your comment are there any public comment at this time
6: yes there is another public comment uh caller ending in 1003 you've been allowed to speak
8: good afternoon everybody um my name is will railing and <clears throat> i participate through a a small accessibility um, organization, Accessible San Francisco. And I wanted to uh, talk to you for a minute about the shared spaces program, which is uh, not on the agenda today. So now's the time for me to talk about that. Um, Many of you probably already know that on Tuesday, a few days ago, the Board of Supervisors approved the program to become permanent. Um, It's uh, something like 100 pages of legislation total. The mayor's office of disability staff was very involved with this. Um, I can see that they've spent many, many hours. I've reviewed some public records that were obtained by another advocate, and um, and I appreciate the efforts that have been made and the time that has that has been taken. But I would like to ask that the mayor's disability council schedule a follow up on how these spaces are going to be that are not accessible today. We're not talking speculative future. Um, problems, but problems today, places that are open today, public accommodations that are open today, and you can't go to because it's not accessible. Um, The city has set up a program of enforcement. Um, There's been several meetings with this council to give the council more information on the city's program for enforcement. But the fact remains that it's simply not working currently, um, regardless of the good intentions. uh, enforcement through 311 calls is not really working in my opinion, but I, I would just like to see this council proactively schedule follow up discussion on implementation of better accessibility in this program. Um, there is a, this, these are, uh, it's a program for outdoor dining you know, facilitated by the city on city property. I and mean, there's clearly title II, ADA title two obligations here for the city to make this program service or accessible, uh, program service or activity um, accessible. Um, furthermore, each of these are actually being sponsored by a private business, which is itself a public accommodation. And each one of those has an ADA title three obligation to make their public accommodation accessible and especially so when they are adding space to their existing business. It's new construction, the ones that are construction, and there are additional new spaces which always must comply, and relatively few of them are compliant. So I think it's uh, ideally we can all work together going forward to encourage the city to put more resources into enforcement. That's really the bottom line problem is that people are not being assigned to enforce the accessibility of this program. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your time.
0: Thank you for your comment. Are there any more public comment at this time?
6: Um, There are no other people who currently have indicated that they wanna make public comment, but I wanna remind um, the public that they can make public comments by either clicking on the raise hand icon in the Zoom platform, or if they're calling in by phone by dialing star nine. And so with those instructions, we can wait a few seconds to see if anybody else wants to make public comment.
0: Okay, we can proceed to item number four, culture report at this time. I don't have any um, um report at this time. Helen, do you have any reports? Okay, hearing none, we can proceed to item number five, which is overview of the slow street program. What is the slow Street? And it would be a presentation from Sharon Kate. No Street Program Manager Services Gram.
9: Yes, I am here. Thank you so much. Um, Let me see if I can share my screen. Um. says that I'm unable to share my screen.
1: I will, um, you should be able to do that now, Shannon.
9: I see it now, thank you. All right. Uh, Well, I am Shannon Hake and I am the program manager for the Slow Streets program and I'm here today to provide a brief update on where we are uh, with the Slow Streets program thus far. Uh, Slow Streets was initially a COVID response um, back in April of 2020, uh, in response to two things that were happening at the same time. The first uh, was the state of emergency that we found ourselves in and the idea of social distancing. Uh, And the second was the drastic reduction in muni service. These uh, These two events caused a lot of stress on the existing transportation network. So we created the slow streets program to uh, create more space in the roadway for people walking or biking uh, during, uh, during the COVID crisis. Um, This has been a program that has slowly uh, grown over the past year. And um, now uh, some of the first streets that were implemented are, um, are being considered to extend beyond the pandemic. The current slow streets network uh, includes about 30 different streets all across the city. Uh, We've expanded the program very slowly, but all slow streets are already low volume residential streets uh, that we uh, install barricades on or delineators on to reroute traffic, vehicle traffic off of the street so that the roadway can be used um, for for other people um, to to uh, to use it as a transportation facility. This was necessary at the beginning of the pandemic because of the narrow sidewalks in San Francisco and the need to, um, to provide just more space for people to maintain the social distancing. But many of these slow streets have evolved to really take on a life of their own over the past year and a half. The original materials we used were these barricades. And we used them uh, starting in April of 2020 uh, because it's what we had in stock. It's what we had in our warehouses. But these were not the best materials to use. Um, They're just not sustainable. They require quite a bit of maintenance uh, for our crews to go out. They're easily moved or removed. Uh, They're easily blown over. They need sandbags to be held down. Um, they can be easily damaged um, and they're, they have no program specific information. If you come across a street like this, unless you are already familiar with the Slow streets program, you would likely not understand why this road was closed to through traffic. So we've moved to new materials, uh, some of which we are just deploying now. These new materials are much more durable. Uh, they are much lower maintenance, and they're more predictable. They're affixed to the roadway, so they can't blow over. Um, they, are, they stay exactly where we place them. So these are the materials that we will be transitioning slow streets towards uh, throughout the summer on a rolling basis. Slow streets are not your typical street closure. Uh, because there's something that we call soft closures. Uh, Soft closures are essentially traffic restrictions to through vehicles that allow the roadway space to be a shared space between people walking, people biking, people rolling, um, people uh, driving. uh, All different types of transportation can be happening in the roadway at one time. So, for the Slow Streets program, that means that uh, local residents or visitors are still able to park along their street, um, are still able to access their properties. Uh, There's still pickup and drop off uh, curb uses, paratransit is not affected. Uh, delivery vehicles can still make it to homes, city service vehicles, trash pickup, um, and parking is unchanged. Uh, and it's really just a restriction on through traffic. So, that's that's vehicle traffic that does not need to access a particular block, uh, but could go on an adjacent street. So this is significantly different than what you see in Golden Gate Park, which confusingly is also called a slow street. Um, But that's managed by the um, Department of Recreation and Parks. Um, But that is not what we're talking about. So slow streets are really these shared spaces Whereas what you see in Golden Gate Park, in some of the other city park facilities, um, those are full street closures. Now, as I mentioned, the beginning of the program, there was one very clear goal uh, for the Slow Streets program, and that was just to provide more space for people to safely get outside and maintain social distance. Um, But over the past year and a half, uh, the goals of the program have changed. Uh, We realized that many of these places became important places in the neighborhoods that they serve. Uh, They created community gathering space um, for people to safely get together during the COVID pandemic. Uh, We also found that these really became part of our low stress network uh, of, of transportation facilities for all ages and abilities. Many uh, kids were learning how to ride bikes on slow streets. Many um, many neighbors got to get to know one another uh, walking along the slow street. And finally, one of the most important things that we've been able to do during this era is gather data on how slow streets are working. This has been a really wonderful experiment to try out how um, how this program and how uh, residential traffic restrictions can really create new public space and what impacts they have on the on adjacent streets and the overall transportation network. So we are gathering quite a bit of data we have traffic counts for all of our slow streets and streets parallel to our slow streets to really understand how they're affecting the transportation network. And some of these are really growing into post pandemic slow streets as part of our our evaluation of our slow streets, we issued uh, community surveys. um, Arriving by mail to anyone living within a quarter mile of a slow street and uh, that really helped us understand how the slow streets are working how people are experiencing them and what they'd like to see. So we started out a pilot process to figure out what these could look like post pandemic. And while we've looked at the overall slow streets program as an entire network, we're really looking corridor by corridor when we look at specific slow streets and how they're really working for their communities. Um, We have developed a four month process that we've tried out on two slow streets so far, Sanchez Street Uh, in Noe Valley and Shotwell Street in the mission. And we have this four month process where we really learned from residents how the slow street is working, how it's being experienced, what issues there are, and we're able to make adjustments on what exactly the slow street, how, how it's functioning and what the slow street entails. As I mentioned at the beginning of the program, we had one tool, it was that barricade. Uh, and it was a tool that we didn't like very much. But now that we're um, we're going back and having this community outreach and really understanding how these could work better on a corridor by corridor basis, we're able to change the tools and we're able to, um, to add and, and use different, uh, different tools now that we're looking at more longer term changes rather than just what can we get out uh, in the state of emergency very quickly. So we went through this process for two streets. Uh, This is just a a brief example of um, how one toolkit uh, could have very different, um, different results on two different streets. We did these two different streets. We had the four month outreach process in each of these communities and came up with very different designs. On Sanchez Street in Noe Valley, the street was already working very, very well as a slow street but we heard from the community that there was a need for better uh, pedestrian and um, safety and visibility improvements. Uh, So instead of making it any more difficult for people to access the street by car, we focused the design mostly on, uh, on adding continental crosswalks and high visibility improvements. However, on Shotwell Street in the Mission, it was a very different circumstance uh, Shotwell Street still had a lot of through vehicle traffic on it and it's a very narrow street and many people didn't feel safe or comfortable in the roadway because it's a very very narrow street and there are many uh, vehicles still using the street which can be very disruptive. So we worked with the, um, the community and the mission and uh, really heard that, that what we should focus on in that area was turn restrictions. and really uh, larger operational changes uh, like we would see um, that would really affect how uh, how vehicle traffic uses uh, uses this slow street and how to really encourage vehicles to just find an alternate route. So even with the same toolkit in both of these instances, we ended up with very different designs. And we believe that uh, if we do this with additional slow streets, uh, we would also come up with very different uh, different needs, different design features, um, because each slow street is unique. Each one uh, has, has a little bit of, of its own culture and um, issues and uh, concerns that we can help address through some of these expanded tools. So with that, um, I would absolutely love to hear from this group to hear more about uh, just perceptions of the Slow Streets program, um, how Slow Streets are working, how we can uh, better engage with various communities through these um, through the through the design process that we'd be doing on a corridor by corridor basis in the future. Um, but uh, for right now, I'm just happy to happy to um, have, answer any questions or take any comments.
0: Thank you sir, for that overview. Um, it's good. It sounds great. I know that we have a lot of questions for you, so I'm going to open up to the class and members. I'm going to call each one of you. And see if you have questions or please raise your hand if you have any questions. I see you have a hands up.
2: Yes, thank you, Alex. And thank you for today's presentation on Slow Streets. You referenced um, that, I think, when you were talking about Shotwell, that it was performing well, or you thought it was performing well. I can't remember your exact terminology. What is the criteria that you use to determine both the functionality and the lack of functionality of slow streets? And um, I do have another follow-up question to that.
9: Yeah, um, absolutely. So I think that Sanchez Street is is functioning well as a slow street, but I think oh. that Shotwell is is the one that um, that we really could better design. Um, we look at several things when we're evaluating slow streets. Uh, first, we want to make sure that it is being used; um, that residents have have really taken ownership over it. Um, we also want to make sure that it's a street that doesn't have. Um, doesn't have major impacts to the surrounding transportation network. Um, That's why our data collection has been really important um, to to better understand how these are working. Um, And we've been able to remove them in the cases that they're not working. Um, We're also looking at uh, streets that are already low volume residential streets with 3,000 vehicles a day or fewer. Uh, Those are are the types of streets that make ideal slow streets. but uh, Excuse me, did
2: you say 3000
9: 3000 vehicles per day
2: under 3000 vehicles per day would be considered a slow street
9: Um under 3000 vehicles per day is what we use to classify a low volume residential street that would be appropriate for a slow street.
2: Wow. Okay, thank you.
0: Do you have any more questions?
2: Oh, um, yeah. So this was just an idea that occurred to me. Um, I understand. I believe it's Park and Rec uh, is providing uh, accessible cycles for um, for those of us with mobility issues. Um, and I was just wondering if you could work with them and possibly have some of those bicycles available for use for some of the members of our community i think that would be awesome so it's just a suggestion but i mean i i would love to be riding a bike down in the mission somewhere so i don't know if you've considered it
9: I have not heard that before. Um, I haven't heard that uh, the Department of uh, Re- Recreation and Parks was doing that, but I am absolutely behind that idea and would love to coordinate with them on on how to make something like that work.
2: Okay. Oh, um, could you just reach out to us or me and I'd be happy to see about how to make that happen or if I can help make that happen. All right. Yes. Thank you.
4: Thank you. So, through the chair, the, the, the program is actually the SFMTA uh, program. Uh, primarily, so accessible services is, is where you'd want to start, SFMTA Accessible Services, Thanks and then they can give you information uh, should you choose to pursue that suggestion. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Thank you, Nicole. For that. I see. Thanks, Nicole. I You have a um, question?
10: Yes. Hello. Um, this is Orchid Sasuni here. And- with a voice interpreter okay so I just wanted to let you know that um, there's in the slow streets um, my neighborhood is actually near Sanchez Street um, so that uh, foot traffic I've seen you know impacted since this program began in my experience um, it typically is heavier on the weekends during the week it's not so bad um, so I think, you know, the closure doesn't necessarily impact traffic. People are still rushing around and trying to get places. I think that it would be very important to look at weekends and see where family or children um, typically gather. Um, because I think that this is an equity issue that's um, impacting our space. Sometimes there's events or, you know, there's spontaneous, you know, gatherings around music or other type of activities, bicycles and so forth. And that impacts people with children specifically. Um, I think that um, that's definitely felt um, something that has impacted uh, our family. We definitely noticed that. Um, I think that um, we, there are many of us that would prefer wider sidewalks. I think simply because um, the sidewalk design um, was uh, focused on cars. And so the emphasis was allowing cars to move in that space and not, doesn't really um, allow for pedestrian use to be uh, uh, to be uh, used with ease, and so I'm seeing, you know, bicycles and other people typically move um, on mo- motorized vehicles on sidewalk spaces typically move very fast, and I think that is also a concern. So when you're looking at people um, specifically pedestrians. Um, and how bikes use that space, probably to get away from cars, it can often impact pedestrian usage. Those who are walking or are using that space or, and are slower. For those of us who are deaf, that specifically creates a safety issue. I think the best thing to do there um, would uh, to keep sidewalks really um, just for those of us who are walking or moving at slower paces um, so that we can we can use that space with greater safety. Um, so I know that that, uh, I don't know quite how to create that design or create a balance within the people using it. For example, in Golden Gate Park, the closure has really allowed um, uh, neighborhoods, uh, has created um, an issue about the area uh, surrounding it for access. For example, access has been restricted um, in Golden Gate Park and on JFK Drive um, for those uh, closure days. And. Um, and there are several weekday programs, for example, at the museum or other areas in the park that are no longer accessible for those of us who are using cars to get there or who rely on uh, vehicle transportation to get there. So I think these are um, some of the issues. I know that's a wreck and park issue specifically, but I also think there's some concern about these um, these places becoming permanent. And so, um, so I think that you know, we, as we move towards green spaces and look to, you know, European designs and so forth. I think it's also important that we think about how to create um, spaces that are still accessible for those of us who depend on vehicle transportation or other means. Thank you so much.
9: Thank you. That's a that's an excellent comment. Um And following up on uh Sanchez Street, we it is by far our most active slow street, particularly on weekends. So our data is Proving exactly what you were saying, we have thousands of pedestrians using it every weekend.
10: Definitely, definitely.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you have any more questions? Okay.
10: Nope, that's it. Thank you so much.
0: Aunt Thank you. Um, Tiffany, do you have any more any questions?
5: Hi, this is Tiffany. Um. I live in Soma, so you know we don't have much space here. But I was curious if you had heard any feedback from the disability community so far, or is this kind of your first, um, your first foray into interacting with the community?
9: Uh, well, um, Tiffany, I'm glad to tell you that we have our first low street in Soma. Finally, um, we just installed it last week, um, and it's already working pretty well. It's in the um, the Soma Pilipinas, uh neighborhood, um, the group of streets um, between Harrison and Folsom, I believe. Um, so Soma is finally getting its own uh, slow street. We have been hearing from the disability community um, throughout throughout the the program, and um, we've been hearing public hearing uh, community feedback in a variety of di- of different ways since the beginning of the program. Uh, We have a Slow Streets email address that gets thousands of emails and suggestions. Um, We have a phone line set up for people to provide comments and we'll give you a call back. Um, We've had a number of meetings um, about how to make Slow Streets better and how to to improve uh, the design of them. And we're hoping that our new materials um, make it a lot more predictable and a lot easier for people to, um, to, to use Slow Streets. Um, but there hasn't been as much of a concerted effort, um, truly to reach, uh, to reach any members of the public, um, since this was an emergency program, at least at the beginning, we were deploying streets with very, very limited community outreach, very limited community notification. Uh, we would plan for a street on Monday and get it out and installed on Friday. But now that we're looking at post pandemic designs and designs that could uh, could last beyond uh, just this in immediate state of emergency. Um, that's when we're really doing that that thoughtful community outreach that we wish we could have been doing all along. Um, and that's really where um, I'm hoping to to engage and, and just hear from hear from more folks about um, how slow streets are working
5: and how to make them better. Got it. Thank you so much. Um, I-
0: here for having she does as I'm going to ask Denise if you have any more questions. If you have questions, Denise. before I go to the staff. I have a question for you. Shared, I know I saw the sign for um, "Slow Street. It's a little bit tiny. Uh, what do you say? Do you know thinking changing that to so more visible. I know there's some People with the community has no vision and not able to see that. And that's one. The second thing I would ask is that do you have any um, working group? If so, if the people with disability are at the table. Um, so... There's a couple of things, and um, like, um, I would follow up with Tiffany. question that if what kind of complaints or concerns from the community, specifically with people with disability, that they have been hearing, can you? tell us
9: a little bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, First off, I definitely hear you on the need for larger signs. Um, We are, there was no rule book for this before the COVID pandemic, so we've really been learning as we go and figuring out how we can make these uh, slow streets work. Um, So I am absolutely all all ears if you have better um just mm-hmm. ideas about how to make them more visible for people with low vision um, and just how to how to mark slow streets uh in an even more clear way uh in terms of the complaints or concerns that we've heard um regarding slow streets particularly from the disability community we've heard uh truly that there's been just confusion about what the program is because we haven't been able to grow this organically as a big you know like a a well thought out planned process this was absolutely an emergency quick uh, program where we were deploying materials so quickly that we didn't do adequate notice even to neighbors and there were many people who once they saw barricades on their street and they weren't really sure what was happening with the slow street program, they thought that maybe they're no longer allowed to be picked up on their block or they can no longer park on their block. So there's a lot of that because this is this is something that there isn't a great guide for. There aren't a lot of other slow streets or there haven't been shared spaces like this before the pandemic, um, it was hard to to communicate and let people know how these could be used. So a lot of it was just clearing up what's okay on a slow street and what isn't, um, and getting people to share um, is can be really really challenging, especially when we're not all on an equal playing field and some people have giant vehicles um, mm-hmm. surrounding them. It, it kind of feels it, it's challenging. Yeah.
0: Um. Thank you for that. I know that um, my, my my best question was, do you have any um, walking group at this time for North Street? Um If so, is people with disability on the table right now? Or if that, I'm. I you guys going to plan to have a working group in the near future. I don't know that you mentioned that it, it might be possibly going to be permanent. So I think it would be nice to have a working group that has people with disabilities in it
9: absolutely I think that's an excellent suggestion as we're growing this into a real program and not just an emergency response I think a working group that can help guide some of our work um, with representation um, from the disability community would be wonderful. No, it's it's truly uh it's five of us at SFMTA um working on this this program. We were all pulled off different projects to do this really quick uh two week two-week experiment last April, and here we are.
0: Thank you. I learned that I saw um all okay. could. Okay, go ahead, oh okay.
6: Yes, and this should be just a quick few things. Slow streets, uh, if you were to host an event, like for example, kids under 12, some sort of outdoor activities, those might be helpful ways to get the the word out. Also to make it not feel like the street belongs to only those who live there. I also noticed that slow streets, something that is lacking is cleaning. Um, I don't... I don't know how often they're cleaned. Are they cleaned on the regular schedule? Because as I'm go, walking across them, I'm actually finding that I'm getting more dirt and things blown on me in the wind than otherwise. So that seems to be an issue to for me. I don't know if others have had that. It seems uh, to be an, an allergy-related issue for me. That's it for me. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Marcus. Good. Good. Um, so now I'm going to ask. The, the staff, if you have a question for Shannon. Hi, everyone. This is Nicole speaking, the Director of the Mayor's Office on
4: Disability. Uh, thanks to the council members. Thanks, Shannon, for being here. Um, and uh, can you hear me? I I am off. Yes. OK. Just yes. double checking, because I had a flip for a second. So uh, thanks again for being here. Um, my uh questions are these I, I know there's been some um work done um through the um the uh, senior and uh disability working group of the vision zero coalition around slow streets and they' i know they 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 did collect some feedback around the disability experience and also senior disability action recently hosted a listening session specifically with members of the deaf community about slow streets. And I'm just wondering if you've had opportunity to review uh, any of that feedback or, and, and how to, if you've had a chance to incorporate that. And if you have, if you could speak to that. And then secondly, uh, I know also that there is a website uh, around uh, explaining slow streets and what they are and kind of how to give feedback. If you could share that information with the council and. Uh, members of the public who are watching, I think that would be great. Thank you,
9: Nicole. Um, yes, we have been um, been working with, uh, I believe, the Senior and Disability um, Working Group. They have uh, done a number of walk audits on our slow streets. Um, I actually was just uh, sent that material um, about 10 minutes before before this meeting, so I haven't had a chance to review it yet, but I am so excited to review it. Um, so I I don't have any big findings on that yet, um, but we will continue to to work to ha- understand how to make slow streets work better. Um, and I did attend the meeting um, with the deaf and hard of hearing community a few weeks back to really hear about how slow streets and shared spaces were working, um, and uh, and and how they could work better. Um, so we're still kind of in the in the data collection phase of all of this, um, rather than. I, I don't have any, any big findings to share, but I'm happy to come back um, once, once all of this coalesces and, and really share what I've, uh, what I've found. Um, and yes, there is a, um, a website at sfmta.com slash streets S-L-O-W-S-T-R-E-E-T-S. And on that, you can find the map of all of the slow streets, some of the analysis, the traffic counts, all sorts of uh, reference information. And uh, you can reach me or anyone on my team at slowstreets@sfmta.com at sfmta.com via email anytime. And we're also always happy to um, come and present at different community groups, um, different interest and advocacy groups
2: um, to talk
4: about what, what's
2: going on with Slow Streets.
4: Thank you. And, and I apologize if you mentioned it and I missed it, but could you review again the timeline uh, it sounds like we've got several streets in pilot. So, and if um, if these uh, streets become uh, permanent opportunities, what is the timeline on that? Are you able to speak to that yet? Or is yeah. it too- no? I I can certainly talk about the first
9: uh, first few. So Sanchez and Shotwell, uh, we have uh, draft designs that we're circulating through internal review now. Um, and those uh, would go to a public hearing uh, later this, probably end of summer, beginning of fall time period um, for the for the additional materials in the roadway, and we'll be going in front of the uh, SFMTA Board of Directors on August third uh, with a um, a selection of four s- slow streets of the thirty some uh, that have the strongest community support and the um that we'd like to recommend as uh as pilot streets to extend beyond the pandemic um sanchez and shotwell are in that group but we're still finalizing the other two uh slow streets that would be um that would be included in that group but we anticipate potentially going back multiple times um to the board uh once we have more more findings and more data to recommend additional slow
2: streets to extend
4: Okay, thank you for very much for being here and for that additional clarification information. As always, MOD is happy to help in whatever way we can with additional community engagement on this uh, on this issue.
0: So thanks again, Shannon. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Are there any other staff has questioned the same. Okay, uh, Shannon, if you don't mind putting your email on the chat so that people can see it. Um, at this time, I'm going to ask if there is any public comment at this time. I just want to um, make sure that Shannon, at this time, you don't need to make a response to any public comment. Um,
6: I currently do not see any members of the public indicating they want to make public comment. However, as a reminder, if you are a member of the public and would like to make public comment, you can do so by clicking on the raise hand icon in Zoom or by dialing star nine on the phone. And um, I see now that we do have a public comment. Um uh, Ms. Waterman, you've been uh, um,
11: allowed to unmute. Is is this uh, is this my time to 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 Yes. Yes, um,
0: yes, it is. Go ahead for your comment. I beg your pardon. Go ahead with your comment all right is this an
11: appropriate time to uh, comment about the challenges faced by members of the public with respect to the closure of the jfk
0: drive is this the time no it's not this time is the, um, slow um section okay
11: um so is there another time when uh, people who have mobility impairments can uh, comment about the challenges and impossibility that's being faced by dis- physically disabled people with respect to accessing the De Young Museum, for example, because of the closure to vehicle traffic on JFK Drive. Is this n- is this not the correct time for that?
0: No, it's not. But um. Uh... You will notify later on, um, uh, later on on the program, for and comments for JFK.
11: I, I'm not sure I understand. I, so are you saying that this is not the time for that comment? Is um, that what you think? i can telling.
0: help.
1: Can I help to clarify, please? Hi, this is Deborah Kaplan. Um, JFK Drive closure is a street closure and it's not part of the Slow Streets program. Um, And so the time for commenting about the JFK Drive issue would be later in the agenda when there's another opportunity for general public comments.
11: Okay, all right. So can, can somebody give me a nudge at that point, please? Because I would like to uh, bring tremendous problems that are being faced by physically disabled people with respect to that, that area.
0: Yes, ma'am. we will
11: notify you. All right, You'll, okay, I'll sit tight and wait. Thank you so much for
0: your patience and for your understanding. Thank you. I did any public for, Yes, um, at this
6: Yes, we have one other public commenter, Walk SF. You've been allowed to unmute.
12: Thank you. This is Brian Hogsman from Walk San Francisco, and uh, yes, as, as Shannon mentioned and Nicole alluded to, um, as the facilitator for the Senior and Disability Pedestrian Safety Work Group of the Vision Zero Coalition. We just finalized and shared our, our report on slow streets with the SFMPA staff, um, along with the other um, groups within the, within the work group um, who took on these you know surveys, listening sessions, and walk audits. We'll share this with, uh, make sure that all the mayor disability council members have this uh, as well. And if it is okay, um, I'm happy to, to, to put it, a link in the chat as well, but thank you all. Good, good. Great, thank, thanks. All.
0: Thank you for your comment. Are there any more public comments at this time?
6: Um, There does not appear to be any other public comments
0: at this time. Thank you, Amon. Once again, Shannon, thank you very much for coming today and talking to us about Snow Street Program, and I'm sure... Um, we will ask you to come with any more updates and please do not hesitate to reach out if there is anything that we can do to support and help with this um, program, especially regarding People with disabilities
9: absolutely thank you very much and i look forward to continuing to work with you all
0: thank you now we are on we will take a 15 minute break um and right now is 1 Eight. So we will take, like I said, 15 minutes, and I will see you all when we come back.
5: NSF GovTV
3: San Francisco Government Television
0: My name is Alex McGregor, one of the co-chair of mayors on Disability Cushion. Today is July 16, 2021. And um, we are just coming back from the break. So, um... <clears throat> Today we are getting a presentation from um, Vision of Zero, presenting by a um, book. Um, One moment, please. Jenny. I can't pronounce her name. Um, I think to the chair. I think it's
4: Ryan Reeves who's here today. I think
0: Ryan Reeves. Sorry. Thank you, because we're getting a presentation from Ryan Reeves, who's um from Vision Steel. Ryan, go ahead.
13: Hi,
14: uh, good afternoon. Thank you so much for having uh, us. I'm actually joined by my colleagues uh, today, Mike Jacobson from SFMTA and Mimi Tam from uh, SFDPH, the public health department. And so um, I'm actually going to hand it over to them to do the presentation. Um, But uh, looking forward to hearing the the questions and discussion afterwards.
15: So who needs to be able to
14: share slides?
15: Deborah, you read my mind. Um, Do you mind? providing access so I can share my screen. I will do that. Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: There you go, Michael.
15: Is that that viewable for everyone?
4: IF YOU COULD MAKE IT A FULL-SCREEN PRESENTATION MODE,
15: okay. THAT WOULD BE GREAT. Yeah, I WILL DEFINITELY DO THAT. OKAY. Awesome. So MIMI, I WILL uh, PASS OVER TO YOU AND I WILL GO FULL-SCREEN.
16: GREAT. Um, THANK YOU, EVERYONE, FOR YOUR TIME TODAY AND THE OPPORTUNITY TO SPEAK ON VISION ZERO. Um, AS Ryan KINDLY INTRODUCED US, MY NAME IS MIMI TAM. I'M A HEALTH PROGRAM PLANNER WITH THE DEPARTMENT OF PUBLIC HEALTH AND WILL BE CO-PRESENTING WITH MICHAEL JAKENSEN, A uh, VISION ZERO PLANNER WITH SFMTA. Uh, so today I will be starting with an overview about the work Vision Zero has done focused on seniors and people with disabilities and then turn it over to Michael to review the action strategy update at the end we'd like to hear
4: through the chair Mimi if you could slow down to about half speed for the interpreters that would be great and also um, Mike if you could do if you have a way to do a full screen view on your um, slide deck we're still only we're seeing uh, kind of a preview mode I think.
15: Interesting. It's full screen on on my screen. Let's, okay. Let's see. I have a display settings here. So let's see if I can swap, let's see. Duplicate slideshow. Okay. How about this? Perfect. Wonderful. And then Techno- if we could technology just... can work.
4: Wonderful. And if we could just... Um, for, for our interpreters, uh, slow down just a little bit. Um, that would be fantastic.
16: Okay, thanks everybody, go ahead. Great, thanks Nicole for that feedback. Um, as I was saying, uh, today I I will be starting with an overview about Vision Zero and uh, specifically talking about how it has focused on seniors and people with disabilities. Other uh, then I'll turn over the presentation to Mike to review action strategy update Um, At the end of our presentation, we'd like to hear feedback from the council and public on how well the strategy resonates with you and if there are any major gaps. And and please let me know if I'm still speaking too quickly for uh, the interpreters. So far, so
4: good, Mimi. Thank you so much.
16: So starting with an overview, Vision Zero is our city's commitment to creating safer streets with the goal of eliminating all traffic deaths by 2024. Our Vision Zero core principles are centered on prevention and are data driven with a focus on reducing speeds, which we do through not only our engineering work, but also our education and enforcement work. Also core to our work is implementing activities through an equity lens. We work to ensure we are consistently prioritizing the most vulnerable populations. Vision Zero is built on a safe systems approach. It moves away from the idea that traffic deaths are inevitable, and instead looks to design a transportation system that prevents crashes. Acknowledging that mistakes will happen, but no one should die as a result of them. Vision Zero is a multi-agent, multi-multi oh, department and citywide commitment. We work with our partners across three key areas. One. Our Safe Streets, uh, which is focused on designing safer streets, especially for slower speeds. Two, our Safe People work focused on creating a stronger traffic safety culture, both through education and enforcement activities. And finally, our Safe Vehicles work, aiming to improve vehicle designs. We also have a data systems team, which is managed by the Department of Public Health, and also a legislative and policy team led by MTA's government affairs. One powerful tool we have is the Vision Zero High Injury Network. This network visualizes where the majority of injuries and fatalities occur. That's 75% of all severe and fatal injuries that occur only on 13% of our city's streets. Unique in San Francisco is that our high injury network is based on not just police records, but also hospital data. This helps to ensure accurate information on the severity of injuries and also captures injuries that are not reported to the police department. Based on our data, we also know that speeding is the leading cause of our traffic deaths and severe injury collisions. And that speed is a fundamental predictor of crash survival. So our transportation system should be designed for speeds that protect people. SFDPH has also conducted analyses specific to seniors and people with disabilities. On this slide is a summary of the results from that analysis. We overlaid senior and people with disability traffic injury data with census data, SF Paratransit data, and other locations Um, that seniors and people with disabilities frequent Um, and in turn this has helped identify priority areas to improve traffic safety for people with disabilities and seniors. Uh, This analysis specifically has gone on to inform SFMTA's traffic calming program. We've also looked at traffic injury data specific to people with disabilities. And we see that approximately 6% of pedestrians admitted to Zuckerberg trauma center for transportation related injury are recorded as having a mobility, visual, or hearing disability. We've also conducted qualitative research and heard concerns around limited mobility, vision, hearing, and uh, the concern that motorists have limited visibility when it comes to people in wheelchairs. At this time, I will turn it over to Michael to uh, provide an update on the action strategy and how it, how parts of it focus on, um, or sorry, and how the action strategy addresses accessibility.
15: Thank you, Mimi. Uh, so, hi, everyone. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, my name is Mike Jacobson. I am a uh, transportation planner at the SFMTA in the Livable Streets subdivision. Um, AND A LARGE PORTION OF MY JOB IS FOCUSED ON VISION ZERO. SO I'M VERY EXCITED TO uh, PROVIDE AN UPDATE um, FOR OUR VISION ZERO ACTION STRATEGY. I'M GOING TO USE THE NEXT COUPLE MINUTES TO GO OVER KIND OF HOW WE GOT HERE TODAY. Uh, I'M ALSO GOING TO PROVIDE AN OVERVIEW OF OUR DRAFT ACTIONS. Um, AND THE the DRAFT ACTIONS uh, I SELECTED um, pertain, I think pertain directly to the experiences of um, seniors and people with disabilities. Um, following that up, um, I have a few discussion questions um, if, if we want to use those um, to, to to have a conversation, but I'm also happy to, uh, to discuss and answer any questions that I can. So as Mimi shared earlier, uh, Vision Zero was adopted in San Francisco in 2014. Uh, starting in 2015 and every other year since, we have released a two-year action strategy. Uh, the action strategy has evolved over time, but one of the key components is our uh, listing of our strategic actions. Uh, and the strategic actions are the kind of the everyday work that um, the cities across the city family, agencies across the city family rather, uh, work on every day to promote traffic safety Uh, ALL IN THE GOAL OF uh, ELIMINATING TRAFFIC FATALITIES AND REDUCING SEVERE INJURIES. Um, THIS this 2021 uh, VISION ZERO uh, STRATEGY UPDATE, uh, UNLIKE THE PREVIOUS THREE VERSIONS, IS GOING TO BE A THREE-YEAR STRATEGY, SO IT WILL BRING US THROUGH THE END OF 2024. AND BEFORE I, uh, I, I DISCUSS THE DRAFT ACTIONS, I JUST WANT TO TAKE A MOMENT TO ACKNOWLEDGE and thank um, all of these community groups that provided feedback um, that all fed into the actions that I'll I'll be discussing in a few minutes. Um, We received several letters. uh, We held community presentations. We held office hours. uh, We created an online survey and story map that was uh, translated into several languages and made accessible. And through all of these means, I think we are able to receive a lot of very valuable feedback, um, specifically from uh, seniors and and people with disabilities. And our outreach was really kind of structured around three main questions. Um, First, we're in where people think we should be continuing to focus our resources. Uh, we w- we're interested in knowing what new strategies should we consider uh, specifically to slow vehicle speeds, uh, to change traffic safety culture, and to ensure that um, city city vehicles are, are safer, as safe as they can be. Um, and listed uh, last year, but I think is really most important to the work we do, is to make sure that we are, um, that our commitment to equity is, 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 uh, even uh, more fine-tuned, I would say, from the last strategy, and how can we elevate it even more? Because we know that there's a disproportionate impact and harm uh, with, uh, as it relates to traffic fatalities and uh, certain groups and in certain areas, geographic areas. And so on this slide, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go through each of them individually, but um, I just wanted to, we want to share some of the key themes um, from our outreach. And I, these themes are directly from uh, seniors and people with disabilities. I think generally the themes we heard from across the city, there's a lot of uh, uh, agreement. But I think it's important that we pull out the themes that we heard specifically from seniors and people with disabilities and give that special, uh, special thought. So first uh, is the concept of slowing speeds. That's a, it's a universal uh, desire, I would say, from, from San Franciscans. And there's really, a, the, the key here is to slow speeds through the physical redesign of streets. So this can be through our quick build work, uh, which I'll discuss later on, and also through our, our neighborhood traffic calming program. Um, there's also a desire to um, make sure that we are uh, lowering speed limits wherever and whenever we can um across the city and especially where where seniors and people with disabilities live work and play we also um continue to hear the the uh the desire to to have more time for people for residents to have more time to cross the street at intersections uh, this is especially for vulnerable road users and um, we can do this through signal retiming or, or other means uh, next is related to traffic enforcement. And as it relates to what I'd say, what I'd call traditional traffic enforcement, this is the, the human being with the badge writing citations uh, handed directly to a driver or road user. Um, results were mixed. Um, I think that some, some people are, are supportive of, uh, of traditional traffic enforcement, others um, I think recognize some of the disproportionate harm that uh, traditional traffic enforcement may, um, may present to certain groups. Um, so although there wasn't consensus there, we did n- see consensus as it relates to speed detection systems. Um, in plain English, we can call it automated speed enforcement if that's plain enough. Also speed safety cameras, the concept of using technology to cite drivers who are exceeding the speed limit by a significant amount. We also heard a lot um, about our education programs and to make sure that uh, as we um, create and, um, and uh, execute uh, our, our education programs, that we're, we're focusing it on dangerous driving behavior and not other kinds of activities. Um, uh, lastly, um, that we, we heard that we should, uh, continue to prioritize working in communities of concern, um, the high injury network, which Mimi introduced earlier. We know that the communities of, con- that the high injury network and communities of concern, there's a, there's an overlap between those, which, which presents many, uh, equity, equity questions for us. And lastly, that we need to continue to do, uh, to, to increase traffic safety where seniors live. So understanding the outreach, um, the process, the themes, um, I'd like to uh, present uh, some of the draft actions from the strategy. Um, I think a theme that I didn't uh, bring up earlier, but we heard loud and clear was our last uh, action strategy had upwards of 60 strategic actions, I think there were 57. The long list. It's a lot to keep track of. Um, and we heard um, focus on what's most important. And so you're going to see on the next few slides as I go through them, that we are really focusing on what we think are the most impactful strategies to eliminate traffic fatalities. I'm going to start with our safe streets actions. Uh, as Mimi mentioned, our program is, is uh, generally divided up between streets people, vehicles, and data systems. Our Safe Streets actions are related mostly to street engineering. So this is kind of your tangible changes to the right-of-way. This slide presents um, three strategic actions that all pertain to slowing vehicle speeds. The first is that we're going to continue with our Quick Build program. In terms of our funding, we have uh, funds available to continue at our current rate of 10 quick builds per year. We heard from the community that there's a desire to do more. And I think that there's a desire within the agency to do more as well. Um, Traditionally, our, our strategy has been constrained. We only include actions that we can fund. But this time around, we decided to also include some unfunded needs. So on this slide, I note that in order for us to to increase from 10 to 20 quick builds annually would require additional funding. Um, A new strategic action for slowing speeds is the development of a comprehensive speed management plan next year. Um, The goal of this is to look for any and all opportunities to lower speed limits and calm traffic where there is fast traffic and traffic crashes that result in injuries. The last uh, strategic action relating uh, specifically to to slowing vehicle speeds is uh, each year uh, installing um, 100 traffic calming devices. Um, and these traffic calming devices, speed cushions, raised uh, crosswalks, for example, there's a, we have a whole toolbox of, of traffic calming um, that these hundred devices that we're going to focus on installing these uh, in areas where with, with high concentrations of seniors, uh, people with disabilities and near schools uh, and the map that DPH created and Mimi discussed earlier, I think is gonna be a, uh, a central tool in where we uh, decide to, um, to uh, install some of these traffic calming measures along with commu- continued community input. Still um, discussing safe streets engineering actions. Uh, these actions, uh, the next set of actions rather uh, pertain to improving visibility between road users and reducing conflicts uh, at intersections specifically for vulnerable road users and really anyone that, that's using the streets of San Francisco. So first, we are we are going to uh, complete um, the following uh, intersection upgrades at all high injury network intersections. This includes high visibility continental crosswalk upgrades that includes daylighting which increases visibility at intersections. Um, retiming our signals for our slower walk speeds standard we're calling walk speed 3.0 which provides more time for people to cross the street and also installing leading pedestrian intervals or um, pedestrian head starts um, at, at all signalized um, intersections on the high network. The next um, action relates more to, uh, um, it pertains to, uh, to turn-related conflicts at intersections. So we have a commitment to expanding our left-turn traffic calming program, which we are um, still in the pilot phase. And then uh, also a, uh, a new approach for us uh, in, the, in the past year we installed no turn on red signs at 54 intersections um, in the Tenderloin. And we are planning to evaluate the effectiveness of the no turn on reds. And pending um, the effectiveness and what the evaluation, what the data tells us, um, we'll look to expand no turn on red to uh, to other parts of the city where we see, uh, where the data kind of shows that there's a concentration of turn-related crashes on red. Uh, next um, pertains to um, to our signals, and we have a, a commitment on um, by the end of 2024 on the high-injury network to upgrade um, 40% to have 40% of our traffic signals have accessible pedestrian signals or APS. Um, right now there's about 25% of the high network has APS and 95% of traffic signals to include pedestrian countdown signals uh, or PCS. Um, now we're going to move to our safe people actions. Um, our safe people is really about traffic safety culture. Um, so our education programs. And um, the, the work that we do in partnership with the San Francisco Police Department to ensure that motorists are, are traveling at safe speeds and are doing what they should be doing when driving a car. So as it relates to enforcement and compliance, we're we're continuing with our 50% focus on the five goal. This simply means that the police department uh, has a goal of issuing that... Traffic, at least 50% of traffic t- tickets that are issued are issued for the five most dangerous driving behaviors. We're going to continue conducting what we call high visibility traffic safety events um, and safe speed enforcement on the Hindry network. Um, this simply means that we'll have um, police uh, on a particular high speed corridor that will um, couple education and enforcement to to make sure that 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 drivers understand the importance of traveling at at safe speeds. And uh, new to this strategy um, is uh, releasing a report that that, um, looks at uh, um, racial disparities in traffic stops and then to develop any recommendations to to reduce um, the disproportionate harm to certain communities um, as a result of a traffic stop. Moving to our, our education, um, so what we call shifting culture, traffic safety culture, and also creating traffic safety champions, um, which a traffic safety champion is simply, a, a, I think, a an engaged community member that supports uh, traffic safety goals and will uh, proselytize to uh, to neighbors and friends of how important it is that we all travel safely, um, so we we're going to continue to develop education campaigns that uh, highlight the top crash factors um, and conduct citywide outreach to create said traffic safety champions. Um, we do these this work uh, in lang- in multiple languages um, with a variety of partners, um, and we all the and through um, our Department of Public Health. We're gonna provide grants to community-based organizations and service providers um, to engage seniors and and people with disabilities to learn more about um, traffic safety. Next is our safe vehicles actions. And the, the safe vehicles, simply we're referring to making sure that the vehicle itself is as safe as possible. Um, and we all know that autonomous vehicles are, are in the news every day. Uh, we live in San Francisco. We are kind of uh, ground zero for the deployment of this technology. So we have a team at the SFMTA that works um, across the region, the state, and federally uh, to ensure that any um, new, po- new AV autonomous vehicle policy Uh, works to increase the safety for all road users rather than uh, simply being focused on the occupant inside the vehicle. We should also make sure that people outside the vehicle are safe as well in the the AV world. Next, we have our our, our data-driven systems, our our data systems, uh, rather, group of actions. Um, Mimi and her her colleagues at uh, DPH um, kind of, they, they they lead many of these actions, and they're it's it's their excellent partnership with uh with the MTA, and so the our our data systems actions inform a lot of the work that we do. So for example, uh, TransBase, which is a queryable dashboard of uh, traffic collisions, is what has was created and maintained by the Department of Public Health and they will continue to update TransBase both for the public and for city staff. Um, we we'll, are going to release an annual severe in, in injury trend report um, later this year uh, that will cover uh, 2019 and 2020. And lastly, we commit to updating the High Injury Network map, um, which Mimi discussed earlier um, our last high network map was created in 2017 and the new map will use more current 2016 through 2019 data. So we've, we've gone through the, the outreach, um, and that the draft actions at a high level. I just want to briefly discuss the kind of next steps. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Said outreach um, began in earnest kind of early this year through through March of 2021. We synthesized all of this information, um, created draft the draft actions, which we are now sharing uh, here, and um, we'll continue to share um, over the course of the summer. Um, so, for example, this coming Tuesday, excuse me. Uh, THIS COMING TUESDAY, WE'LL BE PRESENTING IN FRONT OF THE SFMTA BOARD OF DIRECTORS AND THE FOLLOWING WEEK, WE'LL BE PRESENTING IN FRONT OF THE SAN FRANCISCO COUNTY TRANSPORTATION AUTHORITY FULL BOARD. Um, WE WILL THEN BE uh, SPENDING THE REST OF THE SUMMER AND INTO THE FALL REFINING THE STRATEGIES, uh, PRESENTING OR CREATING THE ACTUAL uh, LAYOUT AND CONTENT. With a fall release of the three-year action strategy, so I want to segue to um, a couple discussion questions um, that I that I have prepared, but again, I'm more than happy to to see where this uh, where this conversation goes, and uh, we can stick to these questions or anything anyone is interested in. And so, three discussion questions um, for the group for the council uh first um does the framing and and the messaging resonate with you uh going over these draft actions are they reflective of of your priorities and can you identify and share any major gaps or any specific missing actions that you think um should be central to this uh this plan that that we at this time uh do not have Uh, included, and uh, all this feedback will be very valuable for us. So I can stop sharing my screen so we can all see each other. Um, And uh, Mimi, do you mind typing these in, pasting these into the chat, maybe? Might be helpful. Yes. Thank you very much. Um, so that does the, the presentation. Um, you can reach me, Michael Jacobson, uh, michael.jacobson at sfmta.com, uh, Mimi Tam, uh, mimi.tam at sfdph.org. You can also reach out to the, uh, to the whole Vision Zero team at uh, vision0sf at sfmta.com. So that does it for my presentation. Um, I can stop sharing my screen now. Thank and you, Jacob. Um, thank you, Michael and Mimi um,
0: for that wonderful uh, presentation. If you don't mind, Michael and Mimi, if you can um, put your email and contact into the chat, that would be great. And... I'm going to ask each one of the question members if they have questions to you. Um, Helen, do you have your hands up? Yes.
2: Hi there. Um, I'm Helen Pelsman. I am the other co-chair of the MDC. And thank you, Michael and Mimi for that presentation. It was really informative, um, and easy to follow. Uh, Forgive me, I am not familiar with what the current status of Vision Zero is in the city, essentially how effective it's been. And how do you measure it? In you know, to date, in terms of what you've been doing for the past few years?
15: Sure. So thank you very much for the question. I think that there are, so the, the overall goal is to eliminate traffic fatalities. And I think in like the plainest language, it's a challenge. Even last year with fewer people driving, our, our fatalities did not decline. They stayed steady. Um, so that that's concerning. That being said, uh, we have what we call our Safe Streets Evaluation Program, uh, which they, they release an annual report where they look at our corridor-length quick-build projects. They look at um, kind of intersection-related treatments to measure effectiveness. And we have found that where we implement this type of work, that we see positive results. And I think that's why we have heard so clearly through our outreach that our quick build program should be expanded that we should double down so to speak on some of these corridor level projects because where we do the work it has been effective but there's a lot of work to be done um we also work at the uh at the policy level as well i think this presentation was very focused on kind of the, the the tangible of the the concrete in the streets um, but we have a, another whole group that works at the policy level to make sure that we have changes made at the state level to allow us to set more reasonable speed limits and to use things like speed detection speed radar cameras uh, to increase safety
2: thank you i appreciate that but um and it, this isn't a finger-pointing exercise. It's just an information-gathering exercise. But since Vision Zero was implemented, have fatalities gone up or down overall?
15: Very steady. Like, And, and I would, fatalities, fortunately, I think in San Francisco, we we don't see some of the same challenges that you've seen from... From other cities that have much higher fatality rates, mm-hmm. so there's variation in that number because it is so small. We would love, we 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 want to see the number go down dramatically to zero. Of course, um, yeah. But there there is there, there's it's a it's a volatile number, so we use other indicators as well, things like uh, severe injuries to me- to measure progress as well. So, I. I would say that uh, and Ryan you can jump in if you if you'd like um, it's it's still been a challenge for us pre-vision zero when you look at 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 our fatality numbers were much higher
2: okay that's what I was kind of hoping I would hear so I appreciate that
15: mm-hmm.
2: um, I, I do have um, a suggestion for what you should add to your action plan okay. um, I don't know if this is your purview but I um, a lot of street signage, like stop signs or yield signs or even street name signs are, are not visible. Um, I, I, there have been multiple si- times when I've gone approached a four-way stop in a residential area, and because I know it's a residential area and it's a four-way stop, I, I, will, pro- I will stop or slow down but I didn't see the stop sign <clears throat> and I think um that would be a critical uh improvement um so that's that's my suggestion
15: thank you Thanks uh, ex-
0: an thank excellent, excellent suggestion um next we have I okay, could okay, go ahead for your question
10: Yes, hi, I'm hoping everyone can see me okay. Let me take my scarf off. My name is Orchid Sasuni, I am deaf. Um, so the last question was a perfect segue into my concern. So I've survived a car accident actually as a pedestrian, I was hit when I was a child. So I know um, what that experience is like being hit by a car. It's very traumatic. I still think about it today and it still gets to me when hitting an intersection. Um, just the feeling of that it's, um, you know, something that that doesn't ever leave you. So I wanna talk about some challenges with um, hearing loss. Oftentimes, for example, my son and his classmate, his classmate was actually hit and he was only 12 years old. And it was simply a um, uh, just a, an issue with the driver not being aware. Um, but that's happened with a couple of uh, children in my son's school. And so I keep hearing about these stories um, and they're they're so frequent where someone is going fast and um, they weren't able to see a child um, and um, and they're making a quick turn and the turn um, because the child is not in view is not in view is not visible that um, becomes the issue uh, that the driver is um, um, using uh, as an excuse but really this is about speed Speed is what causes um, is, um, injury and so, um, I, I, you know, when when you're talking about the impact, whether there's um, a fatality or a survivor, um, it's always an issue with speed. People run red lights all the time and, you know, um, there there is such a risk there. But how do we improve um, these situations where people are at red lights? You know, I think sometimes people are feeling like it's okay for me to walk. Um, I typically wave a car through if someone is looking like they're in a rush. Um, and oftentimes people don't even pay attention. They're very distracted. They're trying to get to their destination. There's no patients involved, um, and you know I would rather my, prioritize my safety in crossing a street and make sure that someone can see me and even flag them forward or you know um, gesture them forward because I think this makes the most sense uh, until I can see uh, very clearly that a driver is going, that is first of all, not distracted and going to make an actual stop. So I wonder what the tools are that can help drivers um, in these situations um, to um, deal with people who are pedestrians. I think this is a, a, very car-driven culture in this country. I think it's a car-obsessed culture. um, And people in the car do not think about what uh, public, uh, they're not thinking of those of us who use public transportation. I think public transportation um, is often uh, uh, second choice for people with the option to drive a car. And I think, you know, I also hate the bus. So, uh, you know, I think that um, red lights, uh, when people especially run them, that is such a nerve wracking situation. And I really want to, I think that should be something that we look at. Um, There's no penalty for someone who does that. Am I right? Am I, am I right? Yeah. That's there's, there's very little um, penalty that's enforced there.
15: So thank you very much for that question. I think that we could spend a whole hour just, just discussing this, this topic. Um, And so in terms of, Yes, in the California Vehicle Code, it is illegal to violate a red signal, so if a police officer is there or if a red light camera is present at that intersection, that motorist will be cited. So it is is illegal. Um, In terms of how to address red light running or people just respecting the, the, the red signal, First, this actually relates back to the to the first comment about visibility. Is making sure that that driver can see the signal and that it's clear. So we use our toolkit, I would say, is, is vast um, as it relates to signal visibility. Um, something that we are endeavoring upon citywide is, is increasing the size of the traffic signal itself. So what we call our 12-inch signal head upgrade, which data has shown has, in those locations, red light running has dramatically decreased. Another way that we do this is by installing what we call mast arms, which are the kind of the poles that kind of put the signal right on top of the street as opposed to off to the side, which could be um, uh, covered up by, by tree limbs. So those are, those are two major methods that we use. Okay. We also have upgraded our crosswalks to be high visibility, so drivers see the crosswalks, and adding what we call advanced limit lines. So again, in 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 plain English, a, a white bar ten feet from the intersection. So if there if there is a red light, a motorist should be stopped ten feet from the intersection on a wider street.
13: Mm-hmm.
15: Um, so I mentioned how we're we're piloting and kind of evaluating our no turn on red, which I think is another way to kind of calm and reduce conflicts at the intersection between motorists and pedestrians. If that Mm -hmm. motorist knows that, you know, that person has to kind of stand still and wait and take a breath, the pedestrian is that much safer while crossing the street. Mm -hmm. We also uh, employ what we call all red Phases. So the whole intersection will have a red for a few seconds. So if anyone's late to go through the intersection, no one will be in the crosswalk. Um, oh. uh-huh. Leading pedestrian intervals. So like the, the head starts are another way to kind of separate the vehicle movement from the pedestrian movement. Um, those are just a few. And also outside of even signal related. Um, Something like a road diet, it's like our quick builds, where we remove a, a, a travel lane for, let's say, a transit lane or a bike lane or a wider sidewalk. Simply by removing a travel lane, as a pedestrian, you have a shorter distance to cross the street, which lessens your exposure and risk with being around a vehicle and will increase safety. So. That's the short answer to probably a, a, a two-hour-long discussion that we could have.
14: I could I,
10: um, I oh, respond here? I just want to thank you for all the work that you're doing. I really appreciate it. Um, I know this is hard work. I know there's a lot involved and I know that there's a lot happening. So I'm very much looking forward to improved street safety in the future and the further reports this city you know is just nuts with the way people speed around uh town you know even 25 uh, miles per hour over the speed limit and that's what causes um you know severe injury and fatality so thank you so much for your work I appreciate it
15: thank you and Ryan just really quick before before you jump in um, I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses or saying that we're perfect there's a there's a lot of work to be done um, but I, we we have the toolkit and the data to show that um, what we're doing is, has been proven effective uh, nationally and internationally. So, Ryan, I don't know if you want to anything to add.
14: Yeah, um, my name is Ryan Reeves. I'm our Vision Zero Program Manager, and I just wanted to add one thing to the question, um, Orchid, that you asked, or, or the comments too, which I, I really appreciate the framing that you shared also. So Mike described a lot of the the engineering tools in our toolkit, and within Vision Zero, we've made a, a really concerted effort to link engineering to our education and outreach work as well. And so, when you asked about what else can be done with drivers, um, our education outreach team does a lot of driver-focused education work. I don't remember if we have any photos of it in our slides, but if we could share some afterwards too from the campaigns that we do. So we have our um, left turns campaign out right now that um, you might've seen in the news or um, and it basically is, is emphasizing the, the sort of importance of slowing down on your turns. Um, and that's sort of paired with these engineering tools that will, will also slow down physically a car Um, in the street turning left. So we've done similar things with our safe speeds campaign, really emphasizing that speeding kills, as you sort of shared um, with your messaging as well. Um, And then the other piece I want to mention is that we also incorporate enforcement when appropriate. So with our safe speeds campaign, we did high visibility enforcement events where the police officers were handing out warnings and tickets um, and they had these big variable message signs out in the street that communicated to people um, who were driving by that speeding is ticketed here, and speeding kills. So we are also trying to, um, with a safe systems approach, like blend all of these strategies together as well.
10: Great, they're good. Thank you so much for uh, their feedback.
3: Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, denise you have
3: your hands up um yes thank you um i'll make my comments short i want to just piggyback on some of the points that uh, my fellow council members brought out first of all i want to thank you both um, for your presentation um i thought it was excellent some of the points that you brought out under you just talked about your um, engineering tools and your outreach tools and what so I thank you very much um, for that because education and awareness for pedestrians and for drivers, put my face on here, is very you know, crucial. Um, I wanna talk about what you talked about under accessibility as far as your uh, PCS trafficking signals and APS, I think that's excellent because myself, I'm visually um, impaired and these are very h- helpful tools. One thing I want to stress upon—that's a um, a topic that needs to be discussed in more detail—and I appreciate it's always already been uh, acknowledged—is I think enforcement. Once you've educated the drivers from an outreach percep- um, perception and then re-engineering, you know, tools, and you still have drivers that just don't comply, I think there needs to be some enforcement around that because I think drivers won't change behavior if they don't see that there is some consequences to their your actions. Now, for me, when I'm crossing the street, I cannot see the face of a driver. You know, I'll wave and say I'm crossing the street, you know, or something to let them know because I can't see them if they do a hand gesture. And there's been times I've been crossing and if I see them, I know they can see me. And they've almost hit me where I have to literally stand and spot, and then they just drive by and they yell at me like, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I almost hit you, forgive me. And I think drivers need enforcement. I think that's a key component in driving down fatalities. Not to minimize the excellent work that you're doing. I mean, that's not the only thing. Enforcement. These other things that you touched touched upon are important, but I think that's really a key component. And I said from the very beginning. Um, unless drivers are held accountable for their actions, you know, they'll continue to think, well, I'll get a ticket, which is very important, you know, for them to know and educate them. But after that, once you've been educated and you still continue bad driving behaviors, then it's up to the legal system or court system to, you know, find a way. So, thank you. Thank you,
0: this. Um... I know that Helen has done a question. Tiffany, do you have any questions for the presenters?
5: This is Tiffany. Yeah, I just wanted to, first of all, I wanted to say thank you for the presentation and the broad outreach that you've been doing within the community with different um, disability organizations. I saw DiverseAbility on there, which is us. Um, BUT ALSO WITH uh, ORGANIZATIONS LIKE SENIOR AND DISABILITY ACTION. AND SO I KNOW THIS IS TOUGH. LIKE NO ONE WANTS TO DIE. (laughs) Um, I LIVE IN SOMA RIGHT BY THE ENTRANCE OF THE BAY BRIDGE. AND LITERALLY ALMOST, YOU KNOW, I WANT TO SAY LIKE EVERY OTHER DAY OR SOMETHING, THERE IS, um, I GUESS THERE'S NOT, IT JUST DOESN'T SEEM LIKE THERE'S THAT MUCH like SURVEILLANCE THERE. BUT THERE'S A NEW HIT AND RUN OR SOMETHING. and, AND I THINK AGAIN, you know, I think just being very cognizant. And one of the things I think a lot about is if we want to make this city better for disabled people or bikers or pedestrians, you know, because we are in this seven by seven grid, you know, how can we better incentivize our cars that it's okay to go slow. Um, But again, I think it's just this huge rush. And especially like at rush hour, this area is so packed. Everyone's just like, trying to to rush into their moment um, to get onto the bridge. So it was interesting to see that map that you had put on where you were trying to like collate the census data. Cause I was trying to figure out like, is there, a and and a lot, a lot of the um, incidents it looks like are happening in the Soma area um, where you do have high volume of pedestrians, but also just a lot of traffic as well. And people I think trying to rush to get onto the bridge or trying to rush to get home. So. Um, keep doing the great work. I'm excited to see how, I think I think all of us who are listening are aligned in terms of wanting, um, wanting to reduce those numbers. I thought Helen's question around if you've seen the numbers decrease um, and the fact that it has stayed relatively stable is not really incentivizing our drivers to, um, yeah, we're just not really seeing behavior change from the driver's front.
0: Thank you, Tiffany. I see uh, Helen. Is it quick? Question, it Helen? You moved it, Helen. Alex to the chair.
4: I think maybe Ryan wanted to respond to that comment. Right. Go ahead,
0: oh yes,
14: Ryan. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to to clarify one thing, and I think it speaks to Helen's earlier question as well. comment too. um, Like Mike said, the the numbers have not shifted in the way that we we need to see them shift. Um, That being said, the trends have been changing. And we don't know how much of that is due to to COVID with with changes in travel behaviors. But last year's fatalities, we had an increase in motorcycle fatalities, an increase in people um, who were killed while driving uh, like a solo vehicle. They crashed their, their own vehicle. Um, we had a decrease in pedestrian fatalities. Um, again, we don't know how much of it's linked to COVID um, travel pattern changes, but I do just want to share that piece as well as we talk about the larger questions of what is changing um, over time with, with our fatality numbers, uh, which of course we agree, uh, even one is too many.
0: Thank you, Helen.
2: Hi, um, this is for all of you. It just occurred to me when I was listening to my other council members' stories about their experiences walking and traveling around the city. Um, If you're doing outreach, I would really encourage you to do outreach to pedestrians as well. In terms of, at least in my experience, so many people will just walk right into me. And we all know the story about you know people just on their phone not paying attention to anything that's going on and just walking into the middle of the street and I'm speaking both as somebody who's a driver and somebody who uses a power chair to get around my neighborhood quite a bit so I would really encourage you to do some outreach around awareness to the people on the street as well especially with the additional populations at parklets because that's going to be really challenging for you guys.
0: Thank you, um, Helen. Did you guys have been comment on that? If that, uh, I have a question for all of you before I turn into to the staff question. So I know, I just want to clarify, uh, Ryan or Mike, I mean, Vision Zero came about because of people with disabilities dying or with um, in downtown San Francisco, correct? That's one of the reasons Vision Zero came about. Am I Break or break? Yeah, there
14: there was a spate of fatalities that pushed the mayor to really make a change, including um, several people with disabilities that that occurred around that time. Yes.
0: So, my question is specifically with people with disability: Are there any? change or shift on the numbers. That is um when you doing analysis, are there any shift on how many people dying or had died um after the the last analysis the dugas did specifically with people with disabilities. That's one. And the second thing is that going forward, I'm not sure if I see on my presentation specifically on um, some ideas and, and goals that you want to make specifically on people with disability in in general on um, causing to speak or or, um, decreasing accident. Can one of you can respond to that?
14: So to answer the first question um, about the changes in people with disabilities that are involved in uh, crashes, I'm pulling up our 2020 report, and I don't know, Mimi, if you have the point, um, the data point offhand for fatalities, but if we don't have it, we can follow up with you. I think the thing that's really difficult around the severe injuries is that that data is about people with disabilities that are injured is we know severely undercounted and underreported for a variety of reasons, and that's a, a real data issue that we're concerned about that we know is a gap. Um, we do a a, a 20 um, we're doing a 2019 and 2020 um, severe injury report that's going to use hospital data, which is much more reliable about um, a person's disability status than a police officer's report from a crash. And so using that data will help us get a better answer on on that question you're asking. And so we can share that, um, that report is going to be released this summer, so we can share that back with the, the council. Is there anything Mimi or Mike you would want to add to that first
0: question?
15: I think the, the only thing that I would add, echoing Ryan, that I, I don't have the exact data point in front of me, um, but we, we know that that people with disabilities <laughs> are disproportionately impacted by traffic fatalities. Um, so in terms of our, our traffic calming action, being kind of hyper-focused on adding traffic calming to where people with disabilities live and, and travel and, and kind of where those trip generators are. That's a, a focus of, our, of one of our Safe Streaks actions. Um, so we do know the, the, that there, there's a serious issue, but I just don't have the exact numbers in front of me.
0: It would be good to just say that. And um, the second question I have mean, the last comment was what I don't Michael mentioned a lot of ideas on what to move on but I'm looking for specifically on um disability related issue yeah I can
14: I can take this question first and then Mike and Mimi, if you'd like to add in, please do. I think what Mike laid out in his overview were a series of actions, (coughs) excuse me, a series of actions that we know are going to slow traffic and improve visibility um, for people with disabilities, though they're not called out specifically as actions that are solely focused on people with disabilities, because they also will improve safety for other um, populations and road users as well. Um, That being said, there are some very specific actions around people with disabilities that Mike highlighted in the slides, including um, the traffic calming commitment, which is focused on areas that are frequented, um, whether for services or where people live. Um, for seniors uh, and and people with disabilities. Um, We also currently have, it's not in this current strategy but it was in the last one and the work is still ongoing that Mimi led around outreach uh, and education with seniors and people with disabilities. I don't know Mimi if there's anything you want to say about that. Just in terms of it being a targeted action focused on on people with disabilities
16: I think you summed it up Brian that like a lot of my work plan this past year has been focused on doing more community outreach and education to people with disabilities um yeah, i am at a high level that that is what it, that that's what I have been focused
13: on
15: yeah I, I'd, I'd like to just add a a, a uh, no pun intended, a, a concrete example uh, from what Ryan just uh, mentioned, talking about how s- several of our actions, um, while maybe not directly addressed to people with disabilities, have components that uh, benefit people with disabilities, and I think also provide co-benefits to anyone using the street. So one, one real, kind of real-world example is our Quick Build program and kind of married into our quick build program are the installation of ADA curb ramps. So I think early in the life of our near-term kind of projects, um, curb ramps weren't necessarily kind of baked in to the design process. Whereas now in our quick build program, um, we make sure that we install curb ramps at intersections where they're missing or if there's a protected bike lane, like a parking-protected bike lane included in the project to make sure that we have curb ramps near um, white zones, uh, blue zones, or even long stretches of of general parking with safe crossings across the bikeway to to, uh, connect the road user to the curb ramp. So I think that's an example where curb ramps aren't, necessarily, you know, written into the strategy, but they are included in our quick builds.
0: Thank you for that. I just want to remind folks that one of the vision they come along is that people with mobility devices, i.e. specifically richest users, has impacted an um, accident in downtown that, that area. That's one of the reasons that I'm a little bit emphasizing on people with disability, i.e. specifically power chair users. I think it would be good for the group to identify, those issue error and move on how to decrease fatality on specifically people with disability with mobility devices and all kinds of people with disability and none. Disabled people. For that, I'm going to ask the staff if any questions or comments Uh, they may have. This is Nicole
4: speaking, uh, Director of the Mayor's Office of Disability. I'll go first. Um, Hi, everyone. Mike and Mimi and Ryan, thank you for your presentation today. Um, In listening to this conversation, a few things come to mind that I just wanted to uh, elevate again. Uh, One is, I think if we can figure out a way to really talk about and think through the disability data problem as something that we could really make more concrete within the action strategy itself, somehow, I think uh, that would be helpful because um, the, I know the data issue is very complex and we don't need to get into it here, but I think if if we can think through a way to uh, more specifically address the data issue, I think that is that is a step. And then another thing that strikes me as I'm listening to the council members' questions is I wonder if there's a way, as we're working through our draft of this next action strategy, to make more explicitly visible the actions that impact directly impact people with disabilities uh, who use uh, wheelchairs, people who are deaf, people who are blind or low vision. If we could more specifically um, delineate some of those things and make them more visible, I think that that would be. Right. I think sometimes we get lost in our own lingo. and uh, you know Mike's example of the curb ramps is a, is a great one. Uh, you know, I know what daylighting is now, but it took me a while to understand how daylighting impacted my safety as a wheelchair user. So maybe some, some work that can get at helping the general public understand what some of these actions, how they translate into safety for specific individuals I think that would be great and thirdly I was struck towards in thinking through this ongoing challenge we have around education I'm struck by the personal stories that the council members shared around their own safety concerns and I'm wondering if as we're thinking through the way that we do outreach given that we have data challenges and we don't wanna just focus on fatalities. I wonder if there's a way we can think through how can we use the personal stories of people with disabilities who have been impacted as part of an education campaign perhaps that might help some with um, educating folks that just aren't paying attention or maybe wouldn't know any differently until they hear a personal story like orchids or Denise's or something like this. The personal stories are very powerful. And so I guess those are just some suggestions that I'd have um, moving forward that I'd be happy to speak with you all about more. And again, thank you for um, so intentionally taking time to, uh, to present this information for us. It's so critically important, so thank you very much.
1: And um, this is uh, Debbie Kaplan, I have a couple things. I would also just like to add, Um, I was gonna talk also about data collection um, and would like the council to think about this issue. Um, It's sort of academic, but it's not just with respect to vision zero and traffic that the issue of data collection and people with disabilities comes up and where it's difficult to truly um, understand the impact of the policies that the city has and or measure progress with respect to people with disabilities because of some of the barriers and obstacles that exist around how data is collected And um, and it's it's an issue that I know many people across the country are paying attention to. Um, And so the council might want to look at that more broadly. Um, And then on on the um, interesting issue of. um, Tying existence of curb cuts to um, pedestrian safety. I think it, it's not just from my own experience and what I know of other people with mobility disabilities. It's, um, I think we're, Vision Zero is looking at it from the perspective of how to prevent accidents. Um, but I think from the perspective of person with a mobility device, safety is definitely tied to how easy it is to cross the street in general. That means it's not just whether there's a curb cut, but the quality of the curb cut. The angle at which the curb cut comes down into the street um, and the angle of the, oh, there's a word for it, I know, in traffic lingo, but the angle of the um, pavement as it's coming down towards the curb. um, I mean, how many of us have had real problems because of the the V that gets created there. Um, And then that makes it much more difficult to get into the crosswalk. And then once you're crossing, what's the quality of the street? Are there barriers and obstacles because the paving is bad? Um, And all of that can slow you down um, and make crossing the street much more hazardous. Um, and so I think it it all depends on sort of how you're how you're framing what the issue is and what the question is. Um, so I just wanted
0: to add that. Thank you, thank you, Do you guys have comment on that? If not, are there any other staff has comments or questions? Okay. Thank you. We are welcome to a public comments. Um Amanda, do we have any? One
6: and nine? Yes, we do have members of the public that wanna make public comment. And as a reminder, if you are a member of the public who's interested in making public comment, you can indicate that by Clicking on the raise hand button in Zoom or by dialing star nine on the phone. And our first public commenter, Walk SF, you've been permitted to unmute.
12: Thank you. Thank you. This is Brian Hogsman again. I'm Walk SF's Vision Zero organizer. And I wanted to echo a few things that were pointed out in a letter signed by Senior and Disability Action, Community Living Campaign, Family Connection Centers, and Walk SF. Um, in response to the draft action strategy. Uh, first, you know, you know, appreciation for the SFMTA and partners that have adjusted and improved the action strategy to, to really reflect uh, some of the priorities we've talked about in the past. Uh, happy to see a much more focused approach um, to a limited list of actions that we know are effective at reducing the behaviors that lead to those crashes that kill or seriously injure people, um, namely speed and intersection safety, as folks have noted. Um, And we're we're heartened to see a commitment to developing a comprehensive speed campaign, speed uh, management plan by 2022. Um, But knowing that this is the last division zero plan until 2024, Uh, we can't confidently say that this plan will significantly bring down severe and fatal crashes each year that we need to you know quick builds are such a great and effective program that the sfmta came up with and um, you know we know they bring down speeds and conflicts but without a deeper investment in quick builds 40 miles of high injury corridors still won't receive full safety projects by 2024. additionally signals won't be retimed for slowing walking speeds until the end of 2024, six years after the SFMTA committed to taking on this work. And by 2024, still 60% of signalized intersections on our most dangerous streets won't have accessible pedestrian signals. Um, So, you know, we know that the SFMTA doesn't have unlimited funding to take on this work. And we know that But we know that some of this work is really inexpensive, funding the quick build program to fully address these streets um, reflects about one half of 1% of the agency's budget for each of the next three years. And we know that the SFMTA um, plans to secure new revenue over the next three years. Um, So we encourage the SFMTA and its partners to to go further in identifying top fusion zero funding gaps and to really prioritize, prioritize these needs, the quick builds. The intersection improvements, the accessible pedestrian signals, um, as decision points come up uh, very soon uh, for new transportation revenue. Uh, thank you so much.
0: Thank you for your comment. Are there any other comments public?
6: Yes, there. Are un- there's another public comment.
0: Um, Go ahead,
6: um, Kevin. Kevin Miller, you've been allowed to unmute.
17: Hi everyone. My name is Kevin Miller, and actually, um, I, I just my first meeting. I really appreciate everyone's efforts and help for everyone, but in particular, um, special needs community that the handicapped, um, the disabled, whatever we want to call it. I, I live in San Francisco. I have a brother with special needs, and um, I I'm not sure if this subject has been touched on before, but in the, I just seeing if if this is something that has been or can be, I can get some more knowledge and information on. Um, I guess for me, with my brother with special needs, also my building with people who are using walking assist devices, uh, wheelchairs, across the street there's a senior center. Um, It's just the ongoing obstructions just to basic um, sidewalks. Uh, in my area. I know there are many challenges and many interests and with the city, but um, it's just, uh, I, I'm, I, I, for example, I'm mean, out I in the lower Polk Street area. And as we're talking, just for example, crossing the street and have this excellent idea to try to help the this, this speed. But also I think a couple years ago, there was a, a bicycle lane installed. Now I think, I can't recall, but there's, there are many lights now when you approach this, the corner, you have the, the car light, the bike light, I don't know if it's a pedestrian light. And I, I think that sometimes can lead to a lot of confusion for people, um, whether it's a bicyclist, the, the car or the pedestrian. And I'm just kind of wondering if you've seen if there's been any increased problems or other reports of that as a concern. Because I, I do see people getting confused and maybe starting to start out and then they realize, hey, that's for the bike lane, that's for the car lane. And I, you know, I just I just worry about any harm that would come to anyone. And so, although that maybe was a good intention, has there been any, been, has anyone else brought that to your attention, has that been a concern? Because I, I have noticed that. And then also, I mean, our area, unfortunately, we have a very large homeless population and um, the uh, due to a lot of the structures, they completely blocked the sidewalk. And for my brother, for example, he, he we start down the sidewalk he, he uses a walker, but he can't really. It's, it's, his whole day could be just trying to go down the sidewalk to the corner, maybe around the block. And for him, just even trying to get off the curb, it's, it's almost impossible. So he can't go an extra block or an extra two blocks. And I want to keep him going as much as I can before we have to use a wheelchair. And so I've reached out to the, to to report my concerns to the to your office. And, um, most of those have just gone over to the police department or the homeless outreach department, but it's always been a a reactive as opposed to a pre a proactive approach. And I'm just kind of wondering if this committee has any other ideas to help us or help those that something is, you know, to help at least clear, have a passageway clear on the sidewalks for people, for all of us, but in particular for people like that. And I appreciate
0: thank your you. comments and thank your help. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comment. Um are there any more questions um comments public? There are no other
6: public comments
0: at this time. Thank you. Very much. Again, um Ryan, Michael, and Mimi, thank you very much commitment and coming to, the, to us today and I hope this is a start for us working together regarding this important issue minimizing fatality for people with disability in, in San Francisco. Please, return if you have any. Well, I shouldn't say that additional information. I will be appreciated. Again, thank you very much for your comments. Thank you so much for having us. We, we really appreciate it as well.
15: Yeah, th- thank you very much. Um, and I, I don't know if the chat is viewable to, to everyone or only certain people, but um, Kevin, uh, who just commented, if you want to reach out to vision0SF at sfmta.com, I'm happy to to chat with you and I can provide some additional resources that I, I think directly address at least one of your, uh, one of your comments, so happy to do that and thank you very much for having us.
0: Thank you. Now we are going forward to item number eight. Um. Report from Mayors on Disability Act from the Director's Report from Nicole Van. Nicole? Great. Hello, everyone. I'm Nicole
4: Vaughn, again, the Director of the Mayor's Office on Disability. And I just want to uh, recognize that after my report, I'm going to be spending about uh, 10 minutes giving a summary of what's been happening May through July from the mayor's office on disability perspective. After my report, there will be another opportunity for general public comment for items not on the agenda. So I know there's some other folks that have other general comments to make, and we're uh, we're looking forward to hearing those uh, after my report today. So uh, again, this report will focus on everything that's been happening uh, May through July, as you know, there was not a meeting in June, uh, so uh, it's a little bit longer today, but there's a, little, there's a lot of really critical information that I would uh, like to share, um, um, which I'll provide to you following uh, this meeting and then will be posted up on uh, the website, uh, the MOD and the MDC website for the general public as well for reference. So the first thing I wanted to mention uh, today is uh, the shared spaces legislation was brought up in the beginning of this meeting. I wanted to emphasize again uh, what's happened over the last few months. So uh, first under the uh, prompting of the Mayor's Disability Council, and then with significant follow-up work from Senior Disability Action, the Community Living Campaign, and the Transit Justice Coalition, uh, Disability advocates were able to, in the shared spaces legislation um, um, have some very critical accessibility amendments added to the legislation itself. Uh, I encourage the council members to track the uh, legislative results under the item number which is 210284 on the legislative tracker under the Board of Supervisors, but in summary The uh, legislation now provides for uh, eight feet uh, path of travel wherever feasible and never less than six feet. So the disability advocates were able to get uh, more space for the sidewalk. Another thing that was added to the legislation um, through this advocacy work was uh, rolling audit inspections. The process for inspections and how the city is going to be um, doing the inspections themselves are still to be defined uh, and I do encourage the council with both the shared spaces issue and with JFK Drive which I will talk about in a moment to uh, I really encourage you to keep uh, both the, the, this item and JFK Drive and uh, several other things that I'll mention at top of mind you your beginning your planning Uh, I know August will be a focused planning meeting for you all and so really want to encourage you to keep these items on um, the agenda as something that you're tracking because the the public uh, remains is pleased but remains concerned and so just want to encourage you especially around some of these issues that came into the legislation like the rolling audit inspections happening every other month um, the eight feet path to travel and then the other uh item that was significantly added to the legislation was posted uh signage requirement for how to contact 311 with a complaint or concern in addition to the things that were legislative there are other items within shared spaces program that are under development as the uh, permanent program um becomes uh is is underway which it isn't yet we're still in a temporary phase until the end of december but then the permanent program will um will begin so we are updating design accessibility standards to be more explicit around um uh, accessibility details especially around the uh, the comprehensive view of shared spaces, so not just how to make the park accessible, which is critically important, but what happens with the sidewalk and the curb lane and the bus stops and every other place where accessibility is impacted. We're really working to um, help through design standards and through updates to our, uh, the SF.gov websites to make these accessibility requirements more visible and easy to understand for the public. We are also in the development of a disability community facing page for the shared spaces program so that the access the the philosophy around shared spaces and maintaining access is very uh, front and center and easy to understand and also it's very clear if there's a concern how to uh, file a complaint. And then finally there is a new data tracker in development um, that will assist Um, 311, Public Works, SFMTA greatly in understanding exactly where and what the status of an existing complaint related to shared spaces is and um, as we talked about in the previous uh, Mayor's Disability Council meeting, I really want to encourage the Council to continue working with the businesses as this program uh, rolls out and develops and evolves. Um, it needs to be a community effort that involves the business community as well in order for it to be successful. The um, next topic that I wanted to um, mention was um, the emergency work that has been happening in the last few months. So as you know, I've reported pretty extensively on all of the different efforts, especially related to um, vaccination of people with disabilities that was happening in March and April. And uh, and now into the summer months, we are, uh, I just wanna make sure people are aware that the homebound program is still very active. Um, as of um, this morning, we had- I'm Sorry. 150-
10: Sorry, Nicole. Sorry for the interruption. This is one of the interpreters. Can you repeat the name of that program? We both missed it.
4: No problem. I'm sorry. The Homebound Program. The Homebound Program is still active, and as of this morning, we have done 454 home individual home visits to individuals who are not otherwise able to um, get out to receive a vaccine, and another 300 individuals including seniors and people with disabilities have been vaccinated in community outreach efforts if you are a member of the public that still needs access to the vaccine the call center the vaccine call center is also still active that number again is 628-652-2700 so in the moving forward in our emergency effort we're going to continue to track vaccine needs but in addition to that we're focused on some other things so one of the things that we're working on now is specifically involving emergency rehousing efforts in the shelter-in-place hotels to make sure there's an accessible process both for entry into the building and for anyone needing a reasonable accommodation We have been working with the uh, port to help advise them on their emergency resilience plan and how to use the port as an accessible um, and safe harbor uh, in the event of an emergency. We've also been looking at ways to advise our colleagues in at the federal level on grant access needs that might enhance access in emergencies for people with disabilities and then next week on Thursday July 22nd uh, MOD will be participating in a wildfire update hearing as part of the board of supervisors public safety and neighborhood services committee if you'd like to turn in on that and learn what we're doing in terms of Uh, wildfire support as well as air quality and heat. Uh, That meeting is 10 o'clock on Thursday, uh, July 22nd. The next thing I wanna move toward is uh, uh, a brief update that the age and disability friendly uh, San Francisco uh, effort that's led by DOS. And a multi-agency community effort, including CBOs and is co-chaired by MOD and the IHSS public authority is working on its next cycle of action items. The May meeting focused on goal discussions uh, related to outdoor spaces and buildings. The July meeting focused on uh, engagement and inclusion and especially how the city may expand upon ableism education efforts and the September meeting will focus on goals, setting goals for the next three years related to transportation and making our transportation systems more uh, age and disability friendly. I would encourage the council as part of your planning again to consider uh, an update from the age and disability friendly folks uh, to help the public understand what's been done and what we're doing uh, in this area as a potential future topic or even a potential uh, collaborative meeting with the DOS commission. Related to uh, specifically the outdoor spaces. I did want to mention a few things that MOD has been uh, involved in. We've participated in a feedback and advisement regarding the pilot proposal that was presented uh, collaboratively to the Rec and Park Commission and also the MTA Board of directors on the great highway um, and there will be more forthcoming community engagement on that effort so please uh, track that as well and uh, and as mentioned earlier MOD continues to advise on the accessibility improvements related to the JFK drive temporary closure. Uh, rec, and MT, uh, rec and park and MTA Uh, We are beginning a community engagement process uh, in response to the action strategy that this council heard about uh, in the previous meeting. This action strategy, if you need refresher or for anyone on the public is posted directly on the County Transportation Authority website. And uh, if you uh, look under the uh, JFK Drive action strategy framework, All of the documentation that MOD uh, has provided as part of that community feedback effort so far, including the public comment history that has been provided to this council is posted on uh, the website. And I just wanna encourage the council again to continue to track uh, the progress on the JFK Drive issues as it's of extreme concern to the community. And we wanna make sure we do the engagement uh, as comprehensively as we can just a few more things um, that are our collaborations that are underway in the last uh month or so that i would like the council to also consider tracking in addition to age and disability friendly and shared spaces in jfk drive two more things one is the summer together program many of you may know that the city received funding to provide summer camp uh, for kids across the city. Um, And it's been a largely successful program. However, we needed to do quite a bit of work to help with equity uh, in the school district around making sure uh, kids with disabilities had um, access to, to this program as well. And so one of the good things that's come out of the summer together effort is there is now a commitment between MOD and the Department of Children, Youth, and Families and the school district to put together a working group and task force on uh, future after school programs and uh, future planning for a camp structure that can be even more inclusive in, in future uh, after school programs in summers. So I'm very pleased about that and, and please do uh, encourage you to track that and ask questions and um, advocate if you so choose and then finally we've begun work with the mayor's director on homelessness in really thinking through how to begin to incorporate and continue to incorporate disability access in, as part of the mayoral funding that has been approved for homelessness and supportive housing initiatives including uh the safe uh um placement of people with disabilities into uh housing and shelters and also uh the best way to maintain the public right of way and reduce encampments in our sidewalks and again i really encourage the council um to um perhaps think about how to agendize um this particular item, or perhaps a visit from the mayor's director on homelessness to a future meeting to learn even more about what's happening here and to provide feedback. And with that, that ends my report
0: for this afternoon. Thank you for this, um report. Now, we are going back, going on to item number nine, information item. Correspondis. Do we have any parties at this time? Let any me know. Uh, this is Debbie
1: and I just need to um uh get to it. So give me one second, I have to shift my screens. Um Okay. Um, Let me read a letter that came in um, for um, comment at this meeting. Um, It is from a uh, constituent named Muriel Partento and the comment uh, from The correspondence says, good afternoon, members of the council. My name is Muriel Parenteau. I am the coordinator of Disabled Students Programs and Services at City College of San Francisco. I am a former member of this council and also a person living with spastic diplegic cerebral palsy. For the past two Sundays, I have been riding adaptive bicycles with Bay Area Outreach Recreation Program in Golden Gate Park. I have never been able to ride a regular two wheel bicycle, a point of much sadness in childhood. And I find my current experience exhilarating, joyful and healing to my heart. In addition, I am getting a cardio workout and exercising both arms and legs with no joint impact. Walking places stress on my knees, hips, and spine. Biking does not. It is a bomb for body and soul. The current pilot program is every Sunday in Golden Gate Park until November, 2021. In filling out pre and post questionnaires, I am concerned that the accessible bike program, since it is being sponsored by Lyft and SFMTA is focused on whether people with disabilities would use an accessible bike for everyday use transportation or do people with disabilities use the accessible bikes for mainly recreation? This is the wrong question. It is not about how people with disabilities use adaptive cycles. The truth of the matter is that people with disabilities should be given the same chance to access an accessible cycle for any activity they choose equal to the able-bodied population if a fee must be affixed to that fine but it should be minimal and subsidized by the city if this goal does not fit under the funding requirements of an SFMTA function then the cost of having accessible cycles should be funded by the city and county under some other line item like park and recreation. I wanna thank the mayor's office on disability and this council for all the wonderful work you have done supporting disabled students at City College and across San Francisco. I ask that the accessible bike program continue regardless of the outcome of the survey about transportation versus recreation. This is an equity issue. If San Francisco's if San Franciscans can rent a bike to ride at Golden Gate Park, then people with disabilities should be avoided the same opportunity. Thank you, Muriel Parento. And
0: that is the correspondence that has been received. Thank you. Now we are going to item number 10 general public comment. This time, I don't know if we have a comment about JFK. It's just a delay.
6: Um, so at this time, I do not see anybody who has indicated that they want. Oh, never mind. There are people who want to make public
11: comment. Um, uh, Ms. Waterman, you've been allowed to unmute. Yeah, this is my third attempt to to be able to comment about this. Uh, and I'll briefly read you a letter I'd sent to the mayor's office on disability. Uh, after months of isolation due to COVID. I attempted to visit the de Young Museum on Friday, June 25. Imagine my chagrin to discover that JFK Drive had been blocked to cars, including vehicles carrying disabled people. None of the 10 free handicapped parking spots on JFK Drive directly beside the entrance to the museum could be accessed by me, a disabled person with a government-issued blue parking placard. I would like to know what MOD is doing to intervene on behalf of disabled persons so that a public museum belonging to the city remains accessible to citizens without undue logistical or financial hardship. In my experience in many foreign countries, disabled people's ability to easily access the public museums has never been compromised even when streets are otherwise closed to vehicles all that a disabled person has had to do is show her blue placard vehicle access to the front door of the museum is immediately granted no hassle whatsoever are we to believe that san francisco is less sensitive to disabled people than paris rome london music munich vienna etc I thank you for your kind attention and prompt action, because as we continue to dither with all sorts of colloquy and good, good uh, feelings going back and forth each month that this persists, disabled people like myself are deprived from getting access to that which we, which gives us joy in life and for which we have contributed so heavily in our taxes. Thank you for your prompt attention
0: thank you for your comment are there any general public comment at this time
6: um as a reminder to the public if you want to make public comment at this time you can do so by pressing on the raise hand button in zoom or by dialing star nine on your telephone I do not see any other um, people indicating that they want to make a comment at this time.
0: Okay. We are going back, going on to item number 11, which is discussion item. Are there any council member who has comments or announcement at this time? I just wanna say thank you very much for um MOD stuff and to the country members if there is if there's no um a post I'm going to call it a journal. Go once, go twice. Okay. <laughs> good meeting, Alex. Thank you very much. That's a
2: really excellent meeting. Great presentations. Those were, it was, it was really interesting. I see you Good meeting. That. Have a good weekend, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, Hi. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to second, but I uh, didn't get my hand up
0: quick enough. No problem.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, okay.
0: I'll um, I see you guys on Tuesday. Thank okay. you all.